listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, I know you're probably still basking in the glory of, of Michigan's first Big Ten championship in 174 years. But did did Michigan win? <laughs> but we have a podcast to do this week. All right, so we are going to talk about seller doers and how great they are, and how and how how you should strive to, to build a seller doer culture. Are you brain dead? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we're coming up on the end of the year, so yeah, I get a little, a little chippy by now. Yeah, so we know we're not going to talk about that, are we? We are going to talk about not really the the problem with the seller doer culture, but sort of a different way of looking at it. And and I've said for years, I kind of feel like the notion of a seller doer culture is is both limiting and probably bad for a firm and that they should strive for something different. I think that's true, particularly if that's the core, you know, kill what you eat and that's all you aspire to. It's such a limiting model. Yeah. I always thought it was ridiculous. I always said it, it seems ridiculous to me because it was always, the thing I always find interesting about it is, is that the firms I've dealt with, and you hear the phrase seller doer more in like architecture engineering firms than you do in management consulting firms. Although maybe, maybe you've heard it. I, I haven't heard consulting firms use this phrase very much. Although some of them certainly have that operating model. I haven't sort of heard them use the language. Yeah. And actually I said that backwards. I wonder if that was a Freudian sleep. Or slip. <laughs> ah, yes, the Freudian sleep. It's eat what you kill. So you have to go out and kill it, skin it, dress it, bring it back, cook it, eat it, all of that stuff. And it's such an inefficient model and it's a feast or famine model. Yeah. And I think almost every one of our podcasts, in some form or fashion, is about how do you get to scale? Right. Yes. How can how can you break out of you know these limiting approaches to really the billable hour? And I've been in some really dysfunctional eat what you kill cultures where people are working three thousand hours a year just to hit a you know some utilization rate or or something. And the people that are under them are so underdeveloped. They're not building, you know, future leaders or thinkers or, you know, they're just perpetuating more doers. And to me, that's not a good economic model, but I would also argue it's a horrific leadership model Mm. because the leader really should be about developing and unleashing the potential of the people coming up behind them in the firm. Yeah, no, I never looked at it from that angle. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I love that, I love that you mentioned scale because I, I do think that that's what it comes down to. What, what what surprised me over the years is how many firms I've I've been brought into for whatever project doesn't matter whatever problem, and the partner says, "Oh, we got a seller doer culture," and they're really proud of it. They're really proud of this badge of honor that they wear as the partner and their peers that they're somehow on the front doing the work and that that's something that they're proud of and they really want to you know make a big deal about in marketing or whatever they're doing and i can't tell you how many times i just shook my head and said i think you're you know i think you're thinking about this all wrong and i and you said it well it's the notion of scale it's you know the essence of building a business that has scale is is that you want i always joke your ultimate goal is to do nothing right that's your goal as a business yeah. owner 
is to create a business where you do nothing and make money, a business that systematically creates wealth for you, whether you're there or not. And if you have a seller-doer model and you're responsible for selling and you're responsible for doing, that's never going to happen. Yeah, it's like having Jeff Bezos do order entry or programming at Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you hear that, you go, well, that's absolutely stupid. Yeah, that's absurd. But that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah. If you're a doer seller, seller doer, you're Jeff Bezos doing programming and pulling orders from the warehouse. Which I mean, now, and I, I don't want to be too critical here. There, there's something to be said for that type of like servant leadership or whatever. I saw this LinkedIn post yesterday from some some woman. I don't even remember who it was. Who was at a trade show, and for whatever reason, the CEO of the company she was working for was vacuuming the the trade show area because yeah, no one else was doing it. And so he just pitched in and did it. I don't think we're talking about that. We're not talking about the you know the leader that 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 steps into roles that are I guess beneath their station by definition or something along that line to send an example to people that this is the way we do things. We take care or whatever. It's not about that. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. It's more just you know if you are a principal of a firm and you are actively managing projects in the day to day, that is not the highest value use of your of of you. And to your point, which I really like, is that you're not developing other people to be successful, which means you're not enabling your firm to be successful in the long run. Absolutely. I've always loved David David C. Baker. So David Baker is a consultant that we've referenced a few times here. He's got this line that I've loved, and I'll try to do my best to replicate it. He said that the principal of, of the firm has two jobs. And job number one is to position the firm, so figure out where the firm chooses to compete. And the second is, <laughs> he says, they should roll you in to the conference room at the moment that they're trying to close a client to prove that you exist, even if you're drooling in the corner (laughs) 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 and then roll you right back out again. (laughs) And I love, what I love about that is he's just, he's just sending this message of like your active role in the operations of the firm. If you're doing this really well is fairly small. And that's really what he's trying to say, which is what I love about it. Which really speaks to the market's perception of what you should be doing anyway, right? Because when you're rolled in drooling, as David C. Baker says, you're being rolled in as a strategic leader, right? Senior management that is demonstrating the importance of this relationship and that it's worth your time to be there and show how the firm does business from the very top, which is what we're saying you should be doing <laughs> with yeah. your time. Yeah. So I, it's been, I don't know how long ago it was. I, I, got, I got asked to speak in an event out West six or seven years ago. And the event gets, it's a total mess. I get out there to speak. I have a slot at like two o'clock or something. The event's totally mismanaged. And it's like 4.15 or something by the time I'm, I'm supposed to take the stage. And there's maybe you know, the people are trickling out, they're losing interest. (laughs) So, and so I just said, okay, I'm just gonna, I walked up and just asked people to give me a list of things they wanted to talk about. And I just, I threw away my presentation, whatever it was. And it was in that moment I said, well, you know, it seems to me you got to get rid of your seller doers. You need to replace them with thinker sellers. And that was a a phrase I came up with and I, and I, on the spot. And I just said, that should be your goal. Your goal is to, is to build a leadership team where you're thinking deeply about the market and what's going on and you're bringing a compelling point of view through thought leadership and then you're helping sell, you're helping close deals perhaps 
But everything that happens after that is left to someone else in the organization. So, so your goal is to get to the place where you are a thinker seller. And then I even said the epitome would be you get to the place where you're kind of you're just a thinker. You know, you don't have to you don't sell anything. Like that would almost be the the apex of the of this. When you think about people like that, would be the recognized thought leaders that could probably come to mind, right? Yes, absolutely. Demand gen, setting the tone for the markets that you serve. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this whole modern selling series that we've been doing and all the conversations we've had with people, for me, it just, it just hardened my resolve on these concepts that this is the way that you need to be operating. I was like, yeah. yeah. Not you digging your, your heels in. I can't believe it. Yeah, like that never happens, right? <laughs> so you know, the whole thing with Maria, like when I look back, like, you know, and I'm pulling from some notes I pulled here, but you know, if buyers are spending less and less time with sellers, right? And there's so much noise in the marketplace and- Everything that's going on around that, then now more than ever, it's important for you to be that. I think she talked about it, that that Sherpa, that voice of reason, right? And so, you know, if you've got your nose down to the grindstone running projects all day, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. There's no way you're going to be able to be clear on what all this noise is inside the buyer's mind and be relatively clear on what they should be doing. Yeah. It's because you're operating with tunnel vision and thought leaders are strategic thinkers. And the thing that distinguishes a strategic thinker from a tactical thinker is the ability to see the interdependencies of seemingly unconnected attributes, events, demands, issues, and opportunities. How does it all fit together? And that's what people pay the premium for. And you cannot answer those questions unless you have time to think about them. And you cannot be thinking and doing. And our society and professional services firms in particular who live and die by utilization see thinking as wasted time because it's unproductive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it couldn't be further from the truth. That time is some of the most productive and taking that time to to just think big thoughts. And we've gotten to a place in our society where that's just kind of, I don't know if it's fair to say look down upon, but it's not necessarily rewarded or it's only rewarded and recognized as a result of maybe somebody writing a book or an HBR article. Like those things come out of thin air. Yeah. Right. And we're like, oh, well, yeah, I could do that, which a lot of wannabe thought leaders think, well, yeah, I could I could do that if I just put my mind to it. Well, and put your mind to it. Yeah. But most don't. It's an it's excuse making and it robs the firm of its greatest gift. And that's the minds of its people. Yeah, it's funny. I know. And I'll go a little bit on a tangent, I think. You know, as you know, and as some listeners of this podcast know, over the last decade, I've built Rattleback on the back of a blog, right? You know, and 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 then in the last two or three years, this podcast as well, right? And that blog, you know, the, the feeding a blog is this sort of like systematic, grinded out marathon game. I've found, you know, it's mm-hmm. if you're going to be successful with a blog strategy to attract people through you through Google. The way to do that is through this systematic bleed of three, 4,000 words of useful content every single month. In that grind, it's really hard to develop big insights, big ideas. You have like moments where you might strike a chord with something, but a lot of times you're producing, especially in a small team, stuff that's useful, but it's not necessarily 
you know, reframing a problem or reshaping the market. And I've always admired, you know, we had Blair Enns on in this modern selling series a couple of times, you know, well, twice we had him on, right? In, in two episodes. And I always look at, at his business and what I, I love about his business is he resisted that in an environment in the last 15 years when there was so much pressure to produce more, 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 more. And so many firms saying, well, we got to have, you know, we got to have a blog, we got to have a research report, we got to have a white paper, we, gotta, we should be doing infographics, we should have an ebook. And it's like just this endless onslaught of stuff. He's one of those people that, was a contrarian. Yeah, you know, I remember even talking to him a decade ago and him saying to me, Jason, he's like, I hate blogs. He's like, I pull my fingernails out. I don't remember what he said, but so I, I, I am never doing, I'm never telling a client to do a blog again. And I was like, why? And, but do you look at his model? And his model was, you know, he stepped back and, you know, he developed two really big points of view based on what he saw going on in the world. He codified them through Two books, which he's rolled out into consulting and training and assignments, and and there's derivative content that I'm sure that that spawns from those things. And he speaks a lot, but at the end of the day, it's really two powerful insights that frame everything that he does. And you know, and that's carried him for almost two decades. And mm -hmm. there's probably something in between for most firms. I don't I don't think you can be one extreme or the other. I mean, the thought leadership gold big idea business that you know pervaded consulting firm marketing from 1960 up till 2000, you can't just do that. You, you've got to be relevant in the digital space and you've got to be producing more frequent content. But if all you're doing is just, you know, churning out content all day long, don't be surprised when those big ideas that fueled your business for 40 years <laughs> stop showing up. <laughs> They're not there anymore. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Well, you know that I'm a big fan of spiritual retreats. I we was, think we're okay with you anyway, though. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. But I think thought leaders need thought leadership retreats. They're not necessarily sabbaticals or something, but of taking that time off to go deep. And that's really important. But I also think, and, and this is to your notion about what's the goal for the business and the processes and how you, you set them up. And you talked about it with, you know, the grind of a blog. You're a disciplined blog writer, right? You have the time, you sit down, you write, you have a deadline you're writing to. So you have that, that discipline that comes along with that. But you're also taking the time to be, you know, a voracious reader, a consumer of other people's information. And the thing that that I love about you and our listeners have heard me say this time and time again, is you have this incredible ability to synthesize ideas, not just replicate or repurpose ideas, but to actually synthesize them. And I think that's what thought leaders do. You know, we're taking in all this information. And I wrote a blog post about this, about what it takes to be a strategic thinker is you can't just read books like Who Moved My Cheese or The One Minute <laughs> Manager or Blue Ocean Strategy. I mean, because everybody reads those things and they're not really substantive. 
you need to be reading classics and history and science and looking for, you know, consilience or convergence of these ideas coming together. That's what separates people. And when you start having very, I don't know, deep is the word, more open and in curious conversations with clients and prospects, that's where you begin to see possible application of this stuff. So it, so it brings together that kind of ethereal world with the practical day-to-day world yeah. of interacting with people, but it's not one or the other, it's both. Yeah, it's funny. I, my, my brain went a little bit sideways as you were talking, so I don't know if I'm a cre- being accretive to what you said or if I'm going a different direction. I distinctly remember multiple times running this you know, business that is Rattleback agency, right? You know, we'll have a client relationship. It's with us five, seven, eight, 10 years. And I'll go to the people that have been intimate to that work for that long. And we'll talk about how do we, you know, market or how do we grow in that category doing that type of work. And the first challenge I lay on them is, okay, well, you've been doing this for a while. What did you learn? You know, what, what have you taken away from this experience? What do you think it means? And I continue to be shocked how often I could get no answer to that question. <laughs> like you've been doing this for like eight years and you don't have an opinion. What do you, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Or it was there, but they were scared or reluctant to let it out. Maybe it's me as being a poor leader in the moment. I don't know. But my point is like, I think that to your point, I, I really liked where you started with spiritual time. I know I, I poo-pooed a little bit, just really just to be my my usual, you know, antagonistic person, my personality. But but I do think it's important that we find ways inside of our firms to create reflection zones so that people can, I'm doing this work over here with this client and that client over there, I'm doing this. How do those connect? When I read that over there, how does that, maybe I could approach this differently. And I don't think firms are very good at that. They're not good at creating space and time or even giving tools or or prioritizing, you know, learning and develop, you know, I don't, I don't mean like structured learning in a, you know, in a training Mm -hmm. program. I mean like reflection learning, like like kind of spiritual learning, like you described. It's like where you're stepping away and going, okay, well, what's going on? (laughs) You know, like what? What does this all mean? Whatever, whatever you're working on, I don't mean meaning of life here. That's a, a great, there, it reminds me of a blog post I wrote on the difference between training and learning. Hmm. And most people have a training mindset. They want to be taught something. They wait for the firm to create these formal opportunities to learn something, whether that's continuing education or, you know, sales training or some personality test or, you know, name your flavor of the day. But I think real thought leaders and thinkers that see the world differently, and then I think by extension, connect with people differently and sell differently are learners. They're curious. They don't wait for a firm to open up formal space to do that type of learning. They take it. Yeah. They take it. They prioritize. They say, I will not do X because I want to do Y. And if the firm provides that, that's even better. I'll supplement what I'm already doing and fold that into how I'm doing it. But if you're a firm and you as a leader have this training mindset where you know, you're waiting for somebody to give you something or teach you something, you're going to be left behind because I think thought leaders and top firms just don't think that way. They think I'm in charge of the learning. I'm in charge. You know, I'm the 
what, how was that expressed? The captain of my, I don't even know what that, I, I had a senior moment there. Anyway, I'm the captain yeah. of my own a ship. Lot of things, a lot of things you can be a captain <laughs> of. I'm not sure what they are. So, yeah. well, you know what I want to take away from what you said, which I think is really interesting is, is, you know, how often as a senior, so many of the people that listen to this podcast are, are managing partners, practice leaders. Do you ask your people, hey, what do you want to learn? What are you interested in learning? Mm-hmm. I really like where you went with learning and training. So le- learning being, and I'll pull another interesting, there's a really, I, I love this podcast series done by Michael Lewis called Against the Rules. I think I've talked about it a couple of times and what he's done over there. It's high produced, really well done. But it, his season two was all about coaches. And he does get this great episode with this guy who wrote the book, The Inner Game of Tennis, which ended up spawning a whole series hmm. of books and actually mm-hmm. a whole global consulting practice. I love that book. He interviews him and he talks about the moment when he seeds the idea of what became the book, essentially. And it was, it was when he was coaching a player and he, didn't, he was tired and he didn't really want to teach. And so he didn't really say much. He just sort of stood there and kind of fed balls and didn't do a whole lot. And he said, anyway, he has this sudden moment in his mind where he says, he's like, you know, I suddenly realized that I like to teach, but I don't really care about people learning. And I needed to change that. (laughs) And I thought it was like such a powerful statement. It's like, you look at how many people do that, where it's like, yeah, they want to teach everything they have to say, but do you really care about the person on the other side, whether they're learning or not? And if you do, that changes your outlook. So that's why I like your training and learning metaphor, where it's like, if you want a culture of learners, then you can't focus on how you're going to train them. Exactly. Maybe you got to do both. I don't know. But yeah. And you need to hire people that are curious, Yeah, not just doers. Well, we're short on time. And I, I don't know if the message of this podcast came out the way that, that I envisioned it would. I, I want to do one thing to, to wrap it up. So first, I just want to make a statement about what I think the essence of this is, which is that it's the seller-doer culture that you've relied so heavily on is one that you have to really rethink and maybe look at changing and embracing more of a thinker-seller culture over time. Now, what I want to end with is just some advice. So, So from both of us, maybe one piece of advice. You know, If you buy into that philosophy that says, okay, this seller-doer culture is running me over a cliff and I need to embrace a different culture that's going to approach the world differently, what would be one thing that you would suggest that, that firms do to go in that direction if they're going to make that type of change, if they're trying to shift from one to the other? And I'll try to do the same. This one is, is general, um, but I think it's, it's the key. You have to reward curiosity. You have to give people the time to think. You need to let them waste time. And and, and, I mean, Google even did this with their 10% and, you know, there's ups and downs and, you know, pluses and minuses to that. But there's a reason Google's so innovative and that opportunity to entertain some of those weird thoughts is priceless. And sure, there's going to be a lot of failure, but that's okay. And that's why I say you have to reward curiosity, which means allow people to take risk and not penalize them when the risk doesn't have a return that meets your expectation. You have to give people the room and the confidence to learn and try new things, take risk and and fail. And I think when you do that, that creates a magic all its own. Yeah. 
I'm going to go inside of that then. I like that a lot. I'm going to go inside of that and say the one thing that you should do, it's it's mid-December by the time this releases probably. So between now and the end of the year, go to one of your key people that you know maybe reports to you or you work with and just ask them point blank. Say, I want you to tell me one thing you want to learn next year and then work with them to build a plan for that learning. So don't make sure it's not just an empty end of the year question that gets forgotten come January and say, okay, we're going to re- meet together next, you know, second week of January. And we're going to review what that one thing is you want to learn. And then we're going to agree on a plan for the year that's going to enable you to learn it. So we're going to action, you know, make an action item against that. So a, a step in the direction of what you just said, you, you build that culture of learning one person at a time, right? One action at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, I sir. Well, this was fun. <laughs> You can go spend some time thinking big thoughts. I'm going to go spend some time thinking big thoughts. Actually, I probably have to go grind out another blog. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Do both today. So, all right. I'll talk to you next week. See you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.